I'm Alex Mosed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. Ironically enough, though, a lot of today's show, we're actually just going to be talking about the tech monopolies fighting against each other with this whole Facebook-Apple situation. There's, there's a lot of meat on that bone. Uh, we're going to get into that. But before I do, I think, you know, a positive example here of uh, dominant platform business in China. Uh, you know, a lot of what I talk about with these Chinese tech monopolies is that they can't be trusted. The data is being piped right back to the CCP. Very strict controls need to be put on them, you know, beyond what's actually being done so far. But that's not really the fault of the tech monopolies, right? I mean, they, they essentially have no choice. This is the CCP forcing this stuff on them. But despite all that, you know, I think there are a lot of positives that come from platforms in general, clearly, but we're all about here on the show. But look at this company just as another kind of, I think, bright spot to, uh, you know, there's just a lot of stuff happening beyond kind of just what the big tech monopolies are doing here. So this company is called VIP Kid. They've actually raised close to a billion dollars US. It's based out of Beijing. And what they do, they help you know, Chinese kids learn English and they connect them to tutors in the United States to bring that about. So, you know, what would I, this is a service marketplace. Um, I believe their last valuation that I have access to, they last raised money in 2019. They raised $150 million. Uh, in 2018, where they raised $500 million, they had about a $3.5 billion valuation. So a year later, they raised another $150 million. I think this is at least a $5 billion you know, uh, uh, company, still private, growing uh, like bonkers here. And you know, a great example about how platforms can actually be cross-border, can actually do a lot of good, even if a Chinese platform company, even if the CCP can dilute and, and co-opt and, and make a lot of kind of negative impact on these businesses, there's still a lot of positives coming from Chinese entrepreneurs, Chinese people. Um, you know, they are not the ones that uh, should really be viewed negatively. They really don't have any choice, frankly, to comply with these draconian rules. There's a lot of even bright spots in, in spite of all of that, like this company, VIP Kid here. It's doing a lot of really wonderful things. By the numbers, they've had over 5 million classes in a month. They have uh, about 800,000 students, mostly in China, but now other parts of Asia. And they have over 100,000 teachers, also mostly in the United States, but I think elsewhere as well. So a little bright spot there to... Uh, to start off the show here. Before we get into kind of the, the meat and some of the nitty gritty, uh, that is Facebook versus Apple. So how did this all come about? What's going on? Basically, the report here is that Facebook is building an antitrust suit. Wow, that's ironic. Uh, against Apple over what is expected to be more aggressive privacy features in iOS 14. So these are these kind of mandatory updates that Apple will make to the iPhone. And this is the money prompt. Basically what Facebook wants you to do is say, uh, is to click allow 
But what Apple is going to do is force this on users to make this decision. So what, I mean, what average user is going to click ask app not to track, you know, versus allow? Of course, of course, you're going to click the first option. Not only is it the first option on the button, but why would I want to let Facebook uh, track me, right? If given the choice. And that's pretty much the crux of what's going on. Facebook is not happy about this. They see it as a clearly an imminent threat to their advertising business, which we're going to dig into their earnings here in a second. But what's the big deal with this? Basically, what Facebook and you know all of these big advertising companies do, Google included, is they put cookies on you. And what they do is they track not only your activity when you're in their app, like Facebook or Instagram, but they track what you do when you leave and what other apps you use or what other websites you use, right? So they start to build this graph and understand all the things that you do, not just in their experience, but outside of it. And that is really what this, uh, you know, the main thrust of Apple's uh, privacy update here is getting at. That is the big concern that Facebook has is that this is going to break a lot of Facebook's tracking. What have they been investing billions and billions and billions of dollars in is being able to track and build this profile of what you do in and outside of Facebook. So that is all now being threatened with this. This is not a new spat between the two companies. It actually dates back uh, a number of years now that Tim Cook and Zuckerberg have have exchanged blows uh, about one another. In, in a public forum. When this stuff spills over into the view of the public, you know it's real and that these differences really couldn't be settled uh, privately behind closed doors, which is where you know most of these things try to get settled. For example, how is it that Google is the default search engine on Safari? Well, the answer is Google writes a check. Uh, last I heard, it was a billion dollars a year could have gone up by now, but they write Apple a check that says, hey, Apple, here's a billion dollars. Uh, just make sure we're the default search engine. That is actually a lot of what the DOJ case against Google is looking at, is that Google writes a check to Apple and then that unfairly prohibits competition against search engines. It's, Okay, yeah, it's true, but it's completely missing the whole, the, the real devil here, the, the don't be evil slogan that Google has clearly violated. And employees are actively leaving Google because they know that Google no longer lives up to that slogan. Let's go into some more of the particulars here about what they have said about one another. Facebook has taken out a full, you know, full page newspaper ads. We're standing up to Apple for small businesses. That's their excuse as to why they need the tracking is because small businesses rely on them to do advertising. Yeah, it's a very weak rebuttal. Remember that monopolies take advantage of producers, that monopolies like Facebook, which we're going to cover here, take advantage of creators, many of them individual uh, small businesses. Uh, individual creators. You can't have your cook your cake and eat it too here, Facebook. You take advantage of many small players. Um, that's who you squeeze for your margin and your profits, um, and that's how you who you've been inappropriately censoring for uh, many years now. So this is Facebook's rebuttal. More than 10 million businesses use our advertising tools, and 
you're going to hurt those businesses, Apple. Okay. Everyone has to play by the same rules, the large advertisers and the small advertisers. So everyone gets hurt the same. I don't know why this is like a, a small business issue um, that Facebook is trying to force here. Uh, don't think anyone's really giving it too much credence. Zuckerberg accuses Apple of having incentive to interfere with Facebook for competitive reasons. So now Apple is biased. Why is Apple biased? Because Apple's moves to limit how advertisers can track iPhone users on iOS is driven by an incentive to interfere with Facebook and force a presence on Apple's own apps because they're saying Apple's vertically integrated. And Apple, you see Facebook as a competitor to what? Oh, to iMessage and FaceTime. Again, like Apple doesn't have a social media business. Apple doesn't have a content platform business. I mean, they have Apple Plus, but it's not a, a content platform. It's a content service. Yes, they have iMessage, which I'm pretty sure they make absolutely zero money on. It is a stickiness factor. It's a communication platform, but it's really just meant to, to keep you inside the Apple network. You know, essentially what Zuckerberg is doing, he's grasping at straws and he's needle needling over, um, you know, these businesses are so big and they're platform conglomerates. So you have multiple platforms that do have overlap, but the, the platforms are on the fringe, right? iMessage is on the fringe of the Apple platform conglomerate empire. And so you're saying iMessage is the thing that Tim Cook cares so much about with, uh, you know, with, I guess, going after WhatsApp, you know, which it doesn't make, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't hold any water. I think Zuckerberg's clearly uh, grasping for straws here. So what has Cook conversely said about Zucky? Well, I actually have an older video. Let me just pull that up. Good little interview here. In an exclusive interview on MSNBC, Cook questioning the way Facebook makes money. Mark Zuckerberg, what would you do? What would I do? Um, I wouldn't be in the situation. Saying Apple would never sell customer data. If our customer was our product, uh, we could make a ton of money. We've elected not to do that. We don't. You are not our product. Cook also says Apple is now investigating its massive app store for potential problems. We're looking at every app in detail. What is it doing? Is it doing what it's saying it's doing? Is it meeting the privacy policy that they're stating? Now, to be fair, if you're going to take this level of scrutiny, well, Apple hasn't targeted Facebook, right? Apple's rules here would apply to any app that is doing tracking outside of just that app experience, right? So Apple is applying this uniformly. Zuckerberg is trying to say, well, it gives a benefit to Apple's own apps that, but I don't think Apple's own apps are tracking outside of the experience. I guess you could say, well, if you're using the iPhone, they're tracking what you're doing on the iPhone, but it, you know, it, it's not an apples to apples comparison. That said, you know, what Cook is saying there, if you really wanted to analyze what all the apps are doing with the data and if all the apps are actually following their privacy policy, going back, bringing it full circle to the China conversation, I can tell you with 100% certainty that the Chinese tech monopoly apps, whatever their stated privacy policy is, and whatever is actually going on behind the Iron Curtain in the CCP back in China, are two very different things. So Tim Cook's statement right there, yeah, I wouldn't take that statement at face value. But strategically for Apple, I think this is a great decision. Strategically for Apple, this stance 
really helps separate them from the rest of the pack. They're essentially distancing themselves very, very uh, materially from Google, but by focusing on Facebook. Very well done. All of Apple's, except for Microsoft, really, um, Apple's big tech monopoly competitors in, in, in the FAMGA matrix, they're advertising businesses. Apple's not an advertising business. So if you are an advertising business, the more data that you can get about your users and what they're doing in and outside of your apps, the better. It's going to give you better tracking. It's going to give you better insights. It's going to let you do what? Sell more ads and sell ads for more money. And we're going to see that in a second when we look at Facebook's earnings here. But strategically for Apple, they don't sell ads. So uh, as, a, as a company's stance to say we are all about privacy, which started years ago, this interview uh, was from 2018, right? So they've been on this stance for a while. It's just that now it's really heated up. And I think the timing is not accidental either. I think Tim Cook and Apple can see that the antitrust rhetoric in the United States and around the world is reaching all-time highs. And so this, I think, is a way to get out in front of that, take a little bit of heat off of Apple by going after and demonizing their other competitors like Facebook and essentially Google also without naming Google and really kind of uh, put these lines in the sand, which in the eyes of the regulator and the regulators having to choose, which takes a lot of political capital to launch these antitrust suits or or to get these uh, laws passed in Congress, right? So this really deflates a lot of that momentum that, that could have been building against Apple uh, for them to take this stance. So I think strategically and politically, uh, a very smart decision on Apple's part to, to kind of push forward. They could have done this three years ago. These, these, uh, this technically... This stuff is not hard, what they're doing in iOS 14. They probably built this thing three years ago and just decided to turn it on uh, now with iOS 14. You know, I mean, you can see that they're tracking what people are doing outside of the Facebook app. They've known that for years. It just now is that finally it's coming down from on high. There's a lot of reasons why, uh, as what I'm getting at, that this is really coming into foray. That said... I think Tim Cook is playing his hand very well. I don't know. Let's let's get into some of um, some of the numbers here. So Facebook earnings. So Facebook just released earnings. This is the key thing. This is what I was alluding to. See this um, gray chart. This this line kind of at the bottom. That's the price per ad. And see it go up going into the end of 2020 and into 21. That's really the key takeaway from Facebook's earnings here. The price per ad is going up and basically this is attributed to stories. Remember when Facebook copied basically uh, Snapchat however many years ago and launched stories? So stories was getting a lot of usage, getting a lot of usage, getting a lot of volume, which was then actually driving pressure down on price per ad because it created all this new inventory. But, but now that stories has, has really kind of come into its own, and, and, and that inventory is now much more highly sought after, and they're figuring out how to, how to interject that into their new product features like stories. Um, you're seeing that price per ad number go up pretty nicely. So that's a huge driver, uh, I think, just operationally of what's going on in Facebook's business. And because of that, look at these numbers. 
they did $27 billion in advertising revenue in three months. This is the last quarter, Q4 of 2020. Yikes. That's a 31% growth rate, 31% year-over-year growth compared to 2019. Okay, Remember this company? They were going to be canceled over the summer. What did we say to that? You can't cancel a monopoly. They're a monopoly. You don't get to cancel the monopoly. 31% growth. On the year, 21% growth. In a global pandemic, these guys grew revenue year over year, 21%. A global pandemic. These numbers are phenomenal. You know, their stock is up, but the stock is up so much. Actually, if you look at their stock price over the past month, it's not, it's actually down from where it was a month ago. So it, it, it has gone up because of the earnings results, but still overall, you know, over the, actually that's the past five days. Um, over the past month, it's kind of flat. It's over the past month, but you got a $760 billion company doing $84 billion in revenue. So it's actually a little under $85, $86 billion when you include the other, a little less than a 10, 10x revenue multiple. And they've got $30, $29 billion in income. So, I mean, look at those margins. The margins are also amazing. Not to mention, as we've spoken about before on the show, they are spending billions of dollars in cost attributed to content censorship. And that has now become a moat. That has now become a barrier of barrier to entry to try to compete against these content monopolies. Now they are saying, I got 20 plus thousand people doing content censorship. I've spent billions of dollars on software tools to do censorship. And any of my smaller competitors that can't do censorship as well as I can, which is literally impossible because no one else can spend monopoly money on censorship, but Facebook and Google and, and other large tech monopolies can. Um, well, then I am now going to change the rhetoric to say that you, smaller content competitors, are not worthy. You are extremist and you have an inappropriate business, right? And you should be you know, banned uh, according to the media and others. So they, they have now turned this despite having a $29 billion net income on $85 billion of revenue. They're still spending, there's so much fat on that bone, billions and billions of dollars of just content censorship, which frankly doesn't have to be there to run a business properly and legally, but they want it there because it's a competitive advantage. How do you beat this? You can't beat this company. They are a, what are they? A modern monopoly. Okay. So Facebook's on fire. Uh, there's some other fun quotes here I wanted to, to point out. So Tim Cook on Thursday in a speech at the uh, Computers Privacy and Data Protection Conference, nothing happens by accident, gang. Okay. It's not just an accident that uh, Tim Cook is speaking at this, that iOS is 14 is, is now putting a hammer down on, uh, on privacy. These are decisions and, and motions and very deliberate uh, actions being taken on behalf of Apple, Tim Cook. And Zuckerberg can see it. He's trying to fight back. I don't, 
doesn't really have many good options here. So uh, this is from Tim Cook. Some may well think that the sharing this degree of information is worth it for more targeted ads. Many others, I suspect, will not. Just as most appreciated it when we built a similar functionality into Safari, limiting web trackers several years ago, we see developing these kinds of privacy-centric features and innovations as a core responsibility of our work. We always have, we always will. The fact is that the debate over ATT is a microcosm of a debate we have been having for a long time. ATT is, is, you know, this kind of outside app tracking stuff. One where our point of view is very clear. Technology does not need vast troves of personal data stitched together across dozens of websites and apps in order to succeed. Advertising existed and thrived for decades without it. And we're here today because the path of least resistance is rarely the path of wisdom. Always take the harder path, gang. Uh, if a business is built on misleading users, <clears throat> Facebook, on data exploitation, exploitation, Facebook and Google, on choices that are no choices at all, privacy policies from all of these tech companies, frankly, then it does not deserve our praise. It deserves reform. We should not look away from the bigger picture. At a moment of rampant disinformation and conspiracy theories juiced by algorithms, Tim Kendall, you know, had him on the show. We've talked about how the matchmaking algorithms at Facebook and Google have basically co-opted uh, the media companies, which have been bankrupted by Facebook and Google, to spread fake news. These algorithms love engagement. They actually love fake news more than they love real news because fake news gets what? More engagement. Okay, what do you have to say about that, Tim? At a moment of rampant disinformation and conspiracy theories juiced by algorithms, we can no longer turn a blind eye to a theory of technology that says all engagement is good engagement. Aha. The longer, the better. And all with the goal of collecting as much data as possible. That's what we're talking about. The algos are geared towards maximizing engagement. Engagement equals more money. Engagement, however, the algos have figured out, engagement is maximized when you present triggering information, much of it fake, and highly controversial information that then gets what? Shared. And the vicious cycle begins. The echo chambers persist. And so it is kind of this co-opting of Facebook and Google matchmaking algos and media, which have been bankrupted by the Facebook and Google business models, having to play the game that gets them the most engagement. And they've figured out the formula, fake news, incendiary, triggering content. That's, you know, that's the algo. Too many are still asking the question, how much can we get away with when they need to be asking, what are the consequences? What are the consequences of prioritizing conspiracy theories and violent incitement simply because of their high rates of engagement? What are the consequences of not just tolerating but rewarding content that undermines public trust in life-saving vaccinations? What are the consequences of seeing thousands of users join extremist groups and then perpetuating an algorithm that recommends even more? It's long past time to stop pretending this approach doesn't come with a cost of polarization, of lost trust, and yes, of violence. Social dilemma cannot be uh, allowed to become a social catastrophe. Tim Kendall did the documentary was The Facebook Dilemma. We had him on the show. We talked about all this stuff. Um, really great interview if you haven't seen it yet. So this last paragraph, I think, you know, you got to take that one with a little bit of a grain of salt here. But you can see strategically why this is a very smart decision on, on, on where Tim and Apple stands. Uh, and they've kind of got Facebook in a corner. Hence why... They're, you know, if, if they really go down this lawsuit path, I mean, boom, it's war. 
um, that will that will really make the the lines clear to the troops uh, on who the enemies are and uh, and what the battle lines are. So we'll see if that comes about. Apple's earnings, however, similarly uh, fantastic, but for slightly different reasons, namely China. So you can see here, this was uh, revenue up 21%, earnings per share up 35% to new all-time records. Uh, really, it was China that led the charge here on uh, this beat for them. Here's a funny little bit at the end of this, okay? Apple revolutionized personal technology with the introduction of the Macintosh in 1984. Remember that commercial, 1984? There, Maybe I'll pull it up here. Um, you know, them going up against the man and, and Apple trying to, you know, say similarly, right, we're, we're standing up to the big bad Facebook and everything. Here, should we see it? Let's, let's watch this. Today we celebrate the first glorious anniversary of the information purification directives. We have created the all history a garden of pure ideology where each worker may bloom secure from the pests of a computer will introduce Macintosh and you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. If anyone has read the book 1984, actually a very timely read given everything that's going on these days, highly recommend it. My references to the Thought Police, that's where it comes from. Very iconic book, very, uh, very uh, prescient in, in today's times. 1984, right? Remember that was Soviet Union was, uh, was, you know, everywhere. And, and, and it was the U.S. versus communism and Soviet Union and uh, all, all that stuff. And Apple was this tiny company back then. Today, though, do you think Apple would really live up to those 1984 aspirations um, when you look at them banning apps like Parler and putting many other regulations on other ones that um, haven't violated really any law, haven't violated, um, frankly, their privacy, Apple's own terms of service, their terms of service are so vague. And this, is, this isn't just a parlor thing. We've seen this with many other apps for, for months, if not years now, that have railed against Apple's draconian uh, and <clears throat> unilateral decision-making in determining what apps are appropriate, inappropriate, what are getting removed, what apps need to be changed before they can go out on the App Store, etc. So this isn't just um, something that's happened in the past few weeks, this has been going on and developers have had an issue. Now you're seeing Facebook have an issue with uh, the rules that Apple is making. Where these tech monopolies really take advantage of their uh, users, it's the producers. It's, it's really the producers in this sense that are the app developers that very often get squeezed and taken advantage of. Now Apple is the tech monopoly. And so I think it's a little bit difficult for them to to continue to relive or to to continue to try to channel that 1984 positioning. I mean, it doesn't just accidentally show up in their press release. They are, I think, trying to 
to bring back some of that kind of counterculture rebel, you know, doing what's right kind of positioning for the business, which there is some iota of that and what they're doing here from a privacy standpoint. But the other actions the company takes are in direct conflict with that. And I think still overshadow and still are are a much bigger detractor than the good they're trying to do on this privacy front. So I'm still a, a skeptic here of how genuine this is. I think there's other things going on just from an antitrust and a political standpoint that Apple is trying to play. I think those are the real reasons behind uh, why you're seeing Tim Cook and the kind of why now question. Um, so, and I think it's a smart decision for them, but I still don't fully buy it. Anyway, Apple uh, and and why are they why are they doing so well? Oh, that's the other part of this. The reason why they're doing so well is that it's also from Ben Thompson. See the red line? That's China. And Japan is way up. But basically, what Ben here uh, infers is that the launch of their 5G phones, you know, 5G has been around longer, or 5G is a huge emphasis in Asia, in China, in Japan. So the launch of these new phones with the 5G capability, there's been a lot of pent-up demand. So you've had a huge uptick in China. Not just, Tim Cook says it's not just the iPhone, but they don't disclose all the other sales as much as they do the iPhone sales. So you don't really know how much of that was iPhone versus other products. But Tim says that they had a wholesale rise in China and Japan. Um, And so this is really the main reason why their numbers were so strong this past quarter. Just going back to the whole 1984 uh, dynamic here and going back to privacy, right? How strong or how able is Apple to live up to their privacy and data standard considerations they're so strongly enforcing outside of China? How strong will they uphold those inside of China? The Chinese government says that uh, they're not going to allow China to sell their stuff in China anymore unless they hand over the encryption keys or, you know, the the data or, or access into these iPhones. Now, maybe that's irrelevant because the CCP can hack into the iPhones with their own uh, capabilities. So maybe they don't need to go to Apple to get that. But you'll see this stuff over the iCloud and stuff that's stored in the cloud, which for iCloud and all those bundled services that Apple's pushing, right, the, their services revenue, none of that stuff can leave China, right? It's all inside of China. So yeah, you know, the positioning is nice, but it runs conflict in a variety of ways, uh, China being a big conflict. Or a lot of these kind of morality kind of uh, concepts that, that Apple is putting forward here to differentiate itself from Facebook, Google, and, and other advertising-oriented monopolies. The interesting thing in China is that the stickiness and, and the ability to switch from, from uh, say, an Android to an iPhone is much easier. The switching costs and the stickiness is much lower because... Apple's already conceded around things like its app developer rules for apps like Tencent, for example, because, you know, Tencent has and WeChat, they have this whole uh, concept of basically uh, it's like an app within an app. So Tencent basically has through messaging its own version of an app store that's heavily not allowed, according to Apple, anywhere outside of China. 
But inside of China, WeChat can operate in this way, right? Where you can you can essentially have you have a whole developer ecosystem on top of WeChat. And then you download the WeChat app onto your iPhone and now you can access all these third-party developer apps for WeChat, but not for the iPhone. So there are a lot of things that are very different in China for how Apple runs its business already. And maybe that's just the the kind of morality question is that if when you go to China, you need to have a different set of rules and uh, and you need to understand that going into it all. And basically just accept that the CCP is king and whatever the CCP wants goes. And uh, and, and that's kind of the morality, moral decision you got to make if you're going to operate. And that, you know, if you try and tell Tencent, for example, oh boy. Watch Apple try and restrict Tencent's ability to operate on an iPhone. Let's see what happens there. Tim Cook won't be visiting China anytime soon. Um, and when you step out of the boundaries of the CCP, that's why you saw um, Jack Ma disappear for you know a month when he said he didn't even speak badly about the financial regulators in China. He just had some very, I would say, light criticism of them uh, impeding innovation and slowing growth. Then the guy disappeared for a month. Nothing happens by accident. Anyway, that's some of Apple. Uh, very strong positioning. But really, thanks to China, uh, particularly coming, coming up and, and giving them strong performance this past quarter. Last one here is Facebook's oversight committee. So circling out here with Facebook, Facebook created this thing called the oversight committee, which is to help give Facebook uh, an independent council, which can evaluate the content decisions and the content censorship that Facebook is engaging in uh, every day to the tunes of probably millions of posts and millions of censorship activities each day. So it's kind of interesting how just the scale of censorship that Facebook and Google and other you know large tech content platforms are engaging in, and then how does an independent committee They've got roughly 20 people or so. Actually, know one of them here. This lady, Nigat, we are uh, both in the uh, Asia Society Young Leaders Program together. Um, and she does a lot of kind of uh, digital rights, human rights, women's rights, I think nonprofit work in Pakistan and other parts of the Middle East. Great woman. So they've assembled, you know, a bunch of people here to try and rule on a select number, you know, probably like 0.00001% of the actual censorship that Facebook is engaging in. And so can they help shape Facebook's content censorship policies? So basically, out of five cases that they ruled on, four of which they overturned, right? So there's five cases of censorship. One, they upheld and said that, that was appropriate. Four, they said, no, there need to be changes. This wasn't okay. You need to get a better policy on this, right? Or there, you know, basically, you need to fix this, Facebook, right? Facebook um, took down a post that was written in Burmese. And I guess the translation was saying that there is something wrong with Muslims psychologically. But then a later translation rendered it as specific male Muslims have something wrong in their mindset, which was deemed a commentary on the apparent inconsistency between Muslim, Muslims' reactions to events in France and in China. This is the kind of stuff they're ruling on. I don't know. I'm just glad I don't have to do that job. To me, 
inappropriate content. And I think generally, if you actually look at their rulings, I'd say they this oversight committee is kind of taking the stance. Generally, what they're saying is that inappropriate and offensive content can still remain. So then they talk about hydro, 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 hydroxychloroquine. There's a post in France here that said that hydroxychloroquine was a cure for COVID. And so that was taken down. And then the board said that this didn't rise to the level of causing imminent harm. Facebook's rules about medical misinformation were inappropriately vague and inconsistent with international human rights standards. What you'll find about scientists is they never agree on anything. And it is... Facebook should Facebook doesn't want to be in the position where it needs to be the arbiter of all these things but you know they've put themselves in this position and it's their own actions that have put them in in this place so I really struggle to empathize with the company. This is now the current state of affairs over at Facebook. They got people arguing over just the this stuff right that Facebook put themselves in this position to have to deal with this frankly. It's on them why they're having to do this. And clearly, they see it as a core part of their business. They've invested billions of dollars, and they've got tens of thousands of people full-time working on this thing. And it's not going to go away. And now they're using it as a bludgeon to suppress their smaller competitor content platforms that can't afford, even if they wanted to, they just can't afford to do the same level of oversight. And actually, instead, a lot of these startups are saying, we don't want to do that level of oversight it's unnecessary and it goes against the ethos of the platform business model. There's a spectrum here, right? There's no black and white to any of this, uh, like everything in life. But it's, I think it's objectively speaking, it's very fair to say that the large tech monopolies are much more so on the censorship end of the spectrum. The up and coming com- competitors are much more on the free speech end of the spectrum. And so if you're commenting on the state of the tech monopolies, they need to go more over to the right. And um, the, the comp- these startup competitors that are on the right, even if they wanted to go to the left, they don't have the money to do it. They're just trying to pay their server bills and literally keep the lights on. So, But it's not like they're running an illegal business. It's not like they're violating laws by not doing more censorship. Um, and they actually view it as a competitive advantage. And I think if I'm looking at the numbers, which I am, it's working. And these alternative uh, content social media platforms, Clubhouse is another one, which is a audio uh, content platform where I guess it has a you know a billion dollar valuation now. Literally every week, there is another unicorn being created that is an alternative, much more free speech friendly alternative content platform. Um, it doesn't need to get partisan or not, but you can see tech monopolies, content pla- content tech monopolies are in the censorship spectrum. The alternatives, the up and coming, the competitors are on the free speech end of the spectrum. Uh, the media is trying to blackmail the competitors that aren't on the censorship side um, because the media is complicit and beholden to the tech monopolies to make any money or hopefully just try to break even. So. It's not black and white, uh, but it's not fair to vilify the up-and-coming tech startups for not doing more content censorship, which isn't a law, which is you know, it's, which is really up to their prerogative to make those decisions, and then and then let the market play itself out. The problem is the tech monopolies 
uh, are impenetrable and the market can't self-correct because they are a monopoly. And that's where we'll leave it today on today's show. Thank you very much for joining us. I will talk to you soon.